Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Code Breaker, presented by Underdog Fantasy. Episode 10 of Code Breaker, we made it, double digits, hallelujah. The popularity of this show has given me faith that numbers and in-depth analysis can be fun, and I'm happy to buck the trend of more common fantasy football podcasts. You know the ones, it's two dull male voices, they go back and forth, and they high-five each other over their top 10 running back rankings for standard scoring redraft leagues. No offense to the 95% of other fantasy football podcasts out there that actually do this. Today's episode will be all about the art of stacking, and I'll be diving into the theory as well as some math behind it. I couldn't be more excited for you to listen to this episode. And I have a massive article dropping on playerprofiler.com early next week with even more goodies and information to help you understand stacking theory and the concrete numbers behind why you should be stacking in best ball drafts. There's the great analytics versus film debate, but I've noticed another phenomenon which is at odds with analytics people like myself. It's the idea that real analytics people, real coders, should be locked away, turn the key, locked away in a dark room, producing results for someone with better social skills to swoop in, present the research, and take credit for it. Very few analytics people in general. And this carries over to the fantasy football industry. Very few analytics people in general showcase their personality online and in their work. But I'm not like most other people. And I firmly believe that my increasing popularity on Twitter is due to just being myself and having fun with social media. Unlike many other intense analytics folks, I don't take Twitter too seriously. And I don't try to make sure my Twitter feed is exclusively numbers and charts and tables and coding script screenshots. Like every other normal person, I too need breaks from work. I can't sit at a screen all day staring at code for 8 straight hours. When I find a fun stat or make an interesting observation, I'll share it on Twitter. And you can follow me there at jlarkytweets. J-L-A-R-K-Y tweets. Earlier this week, I made one such interesting discovery, and I posted about it. Here is that single post. Quote, Keelan Cole had more fantasy points in 2020 than DJ Chark. So did LaVisca Chenault. Chark was the fantasy wide receiver three on his own team last year. Mind blown emoji. That was the tweet. But due to the unwritten rules of analytics enthusiasts on Twitter, I am not allowed to post anything that's not highly predictive 
and I had several individuals take offense to this post, arguing their case for why Chark will do better in 2021. Note that in my original post, I said nothing about DJ Chark in 2021. I simply stated the fact that he scored the third most total fantasy points out of Jacksonville wide receivers last year. I even had a couple people point out that Keelan Cole was four fantasy points behind Chark, only for them to then realize Keelan Cole had a punt return touchdown for six fantasy points, and that put him just ahead of DJ Chark. Anyway, I had violated the unwritten rule that an analytics person can't have fun or post an interesting or surprising stat on Twitter. And of course, most analytics people definitely cannot show personality or make jokes on Twitter. But again, I'm not most people. While I was fairly immune to the internet trolls back when I had a smaller Twitter account, with a larger audience comes greater exposure to those with polarizing and aggressive opinions who don't follow me on Twitter and they just want to troll. I had one such comment on this post about Keelan Cole outscoring Chark in total fantasy points last year. This person's comment reads, quote, It's not like Keelan Cole dot 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 played three more games and didn't have to face the other team's best quarterback or anything. Capital F, capital O, capital H. We all know what what that stands for. F-O-H with this dumb shit. I'll read their comment one more time just in case you missed hearing the obvious typo the first time around. Quote, it's not like Keelan Cole played three more games and didn't have to face the other team's best quarterback or anything. F-O-H with this dumb shit. Really? The team's best quarterback? Because I don't follow the unwritten rules of analytics people on Twitter, and I have a sense of humor, I decided this brave and courageous internet troll needed more attention. So I quote tweeted him, and I agreed with him. I told him in my quote tweet, it was absolutely brutal that DJ Chark suffered through two games of smothering coverage from Philip Rivers, while Keelan Cole had the cake matchup in Jacoby Brissett. Checkmate. But I'm sure you've all already seen that post since you're all following me on Twitter already, at tweets. So I didn't even need to walk through that story, did I? That funny story actually dovetails nicely with the concept of stacking. Because one thing that I do believe many analytics folks struggle with, in addition to expressing their own personalities, if they have one, is explaining complicated math or difficult concepts to a wide audience that may or may not have similar analytics knowledge. Especially in the fantasy football industry, it's imperative that an analytics person like myself can communicate my research clearly and concisely, helping others understand why the research I've done is meaningful and how it can be actionable. And I plan to do that with the controversial, popular, and often misunderstood concept of stacking, with a focus for this episode on best ball. Speaking of best ball, our friends at Underdog Fantasy have launched the puppy. It's pretty cute. It's a puppy. And I know you've been hearing me week after week. I talk about Best Ball Mania 2, the second year of their flagship best ball tournament. It's $25 to enter and you can win a million dollars. And you know what? I love it. I've been, I'm still doing entry after entry into that tournament, but not everyone can afford it. Not everyone wants to pay $25 an entry. Sometimes you just want to practice with a lower stakes tournament. That's the puppy. You can still enter the puppy up to 150 times if you want to. So all the sick degenerates out there, the puppy is still for you, but it's only $5 each. And first place in the puppy gets 50 
$1,000. Oh, I'm drafting a lot of the puppy. Let me tell you. Promo code UNDERWORLD. I repeat, promo code UNDERWORLD. Sign up today on Underdog Fantasy. And when you deposit $25, you'll get an extra $25. That's $50. That's 10 puppies. I mean, who doesn't like 10 puppies? That's right. You can do 10 tournament drafts for only $25 because of the Underworld promo code and deposit match. What are you waiting for? We're waiting for you. Underdog Fantasy, promo code Underworld, jump in the puppy. For this next part on stacking theory, I'll be referring to an example I've written up for my stacking articles introduction. Also, shout out to Neil Gupta, one of our two summer analytics interns at Roto Underworld, for helping to ensure my theory behind stacking examples actually makes sense. Hey, I don't want to lose anyone in the first minute of Larky's stacking seminar. And another shout out to Michael O'Connor, our other analytics intern this summer. The two of them have been crushing it since they started in June, and both have their own articles already on playerprofiler.com. You'll also see more of their work and research integrated on the site soon. If you have the Player Profiler, in quotes, world-famous draft kit, our team preview section has been revamped with team stats and percentiles courtesy of Michael. There's a third musketeer in this intern bunch, Jesse Dombrowski. And if you follow the at Roto Underworld account on Twitter, you have already begun to see her killer graphics work. Jesse's currently working on three really neat table graphics for my stacking article, and you'll have to read that piece on Player Profiler when it comes out next week to see the coolest stacking graphics known to humankind. In a nutshell, our three summer interns, these are rising stars, and I'll post their Twitter handles in the podcast description so you can follow their work over the summer. It's really hard to believe the three of them are still in college because their knowledge of football and enthusiasm with wanting to contribute in as many areas as possible, it's contagious. So it's, it's been a great summer and it will continue to be a great summer. Most of the rest of this episode is going to focus on stacking and best ball. And I'll give the 30 second refresher on what best ball is for anyone out there who's not quite sure or hasn't played best ball yet or just wants to be reminded. In a normal, traditional redraft league, you're going to set your lineup each week. You have to choose who is on your bench and who is actually starting at running back, receiver, etc. In best ball, you just draft a team and don't do anything else the rest of the year post-draft. So on underdog, there's 18 rounds. You're going to draft a team over 18 rounds. And then in season, automatically your best quarterback, your two best running backs, three best receivers, best tight end, and best flex will enter your lineup each week. And that's who you get points for. So let's say that I drafted six receivers in those 18 rounds. Each week, the three best receivers out of those six, those three highest fantasy totals would be my scores for that week. So that's what's great about best ball. Set it and forget it. It's for people that love drafting. I love to draft. I assume you love to draft. Personally, I would rather draft and spend time doing that than time making lineup decisions each week. Should I start uh, wide receiver two on this offense or wide receiver two on this offense? Do I flex a running back or a receiver? You frequently get the decision wrong and it's no fault of your own. Touchdowns are random. Sometimes the, the other guy gets a touchdown. And with best ball, you don't have to worry about that. That's the incredible part. But back to stacking. Think big picture about fantasy football each week for one moment. You know how frustratingly random touchdowns can be. Have you ever lost a fantasy football week because your opponent had 
a team's wide receiver two go off for 100 yards and two touchdowns, and you had the wide receiver one on that same team, and they went for two catches for 20 yards. It's happened to all of us. The spike weeks, the touchdowns, it can all be difficult to understand and to predict week to week. We often get it wrong. Another difficult variable we contend with each week is which teams will be high scoring. While you might have a team like the Chiefs or the Bills where they're putting up three or more touchdowns every Sunday, even a team like the Chargers with Justin Herbert at the helm, well, the Chargers were wildly annoying to predict. The Chargers at one point in the season had seven straight games with three or more touchdowns before scoring only 17 points against Buffalo, which was not a great defense last year, and then getting shut out zero points against New England the week after that Buffalo game. Football is a grueling sport to predict, and this is where stacking enters the fold. Stacking allows us to limit how many different variables we have to get correct each week. I'll repeat that one more time and then get into the weeds of that. Stacking allows us to limit how many different variables we have to get correct each week. And if that sentence still went over your head, the below example with real NFL players will illustrate this concept of how many, quote, different variables we must get correct in a given week. We'll stick with Justin Herbert because I'm a displaced San Diego Chargers fan who's a sucker and owns a Justin Herbert jersey and is still rooting for the team that left my hometown. Herbert currently goes in the sixth round on underdog, and his wide receiver one, Keenan Allen, is typically drafted in round three. Another wide receiver with a similar ADP to Keenan Allen is Michael Thomas. The two potential player combinations that we'll think about are you draft Keenan Allen round three, and then you draft Justin Herbert in round six. Or you could take Michael Thomas in round three and then draft Justin Herbert in round six. So either Allen Herbert or Michael Thomas, then Herbert. Fast forward to week one and Justin Herbert has a great game. Let's say in week one, Herbert throws for, uh, I don't know, 325 yards and three touchdowns. Hell of a week. It's incredibly unlikely that Keenan Allen puts up two catches for 37 yards in this game because he's Herbert's most trusted and most targeted receiver. There's a decent chance one of those touchdowns and many of those yards go Allen's way. We had one big event go in our favor. The Chargers have a great day on offense. Yet, two of our players are now entering our best ball lineup for that week if we had drafted Keenan Allen in round three and Justin Herbert in round six. What if we had taken Michael Thomas instead of Keenan Allen? For both of them to enter our best ball lineup for this week, we, we know Justin Herbert has this theoretical great performance in week one. He has 300 yards, three touchdowns. But if we want Michael Thomas and Justin Herbert to enter our lineup, because those are the two players we took in rounds three and six, we would still need the Saints to have a productive day offensively for Michael Thomas to most likely pay off. By not stacking Herbert and Allen, we now need two different variables to go our way. The Chargers and the Saints having strong offensive showings. In the sport of football, where so many variables are outside our control, it's nice to only need to root for one team's offense to succeed to ensure that two players enter our best ball lineup. Had we not stacked, we would need to root for two teams' offenses to succeed to ensure that two players enter our best ball lineup. Assuming that all makes sense now, the basic math behind stacking is illuminating, too. 
let's zoom in on a single play in this game where Justin Herbert throws a 25-yard touchdown pass. Using underdog scoring, a quarterback gets one fantasy point for every 25 yards passing and four fantasy points for a passing touchdown. So Herbert throws a 25-yard touchdown pass. He would get five fantasy points, four for the touchdown and one for the yards, five points. It's not a given, but there is a decent chance that if Herbert throws a touchdown pass, that it goes to Keenan Allen. If we look at 2020 in games Keenan Allen and Herbert overlapped, 30% of Herbert's touchdown passes went to Keenan Allen last year. If the pass goes to Keenan Allen, he gets a fantasy point every 10 receiving yards, as well as six points for a receiving touchdown. So a 25-yard touchdown pass for Keenan Allen is two and a half points for the yardage and six points for the touchdown. That would give Keenan Allen eight and a half fantasy points if he makes that touchdown catch. If we had stacked Herbert and Allen, that single pass play would get us 13 and a half fantasy points. That 125-yard touchdown, 13 and a half fantasy points, five from Herbert, eight and a half from Keenan Allen. Of course, there is the chance, about 70% in 2020, there is about a 70% chance, give or take, that Herbert would have thrown this touchdown to another receiver on the Chargers. That's fine. There was still, remember, about a 30% chance it went to Keenan Allen and that we got the 13 and a half fantasy points from that stack. What if we had taken Michael Thomas? If we had taken Michael Thomas in round three instead of Keenan Allen, Herbert throws a 25-yard touchdown pass. He gets five fantasy points. There is not a 30% chance Michael Thomas catches that pass like there was for Keenan Allen. Michael Thomas doesn't play for the freaking Chargers. There's no way he catches that touchdown pass. There is a 0% chance. So with that one pass play, if we had rostered Michael Thomas with Herbert, we would be getting five fantasy points no matter what on this play, with no chance of hitting 13 and a half fantasy points if we had gun, if we had gotten eight and a half for Allen and five for Herbert. Another way to think about this comparison is that a Justin Herbert 25-yard touchdown passes expected fantasy points if you have Keenan Allen is five for Herbert plus 30% of eight and a half, which is what Allen got. 30% of 8.5 is 2.55, plus what Herbert got, which was 5. So Justin Herbert's 25-yard touchdown pass would give us 7.55, or about 7.5, expected fantasy points. Because that equation is factoring in a 30% chance Allen gets the 8.5 fantasy points receiving from that play, since he caught 30% of Herbert's touchdowns in games he was active last year. If you have Michael Thomas, not Keenan Allen, your expected fantasy points when Herbert throws a 25-yard touchdown pass is just five expected fantasy points because there's a 0% chance. So zero times eight and a half fantasy points. 0% chance Michael Thomas caught Herbert's touchdown pass because there's a 0% chance Michael Thomas is catching a touchdown from anybody but a Saints quarterback. Another common sentiment that I'll hear, especially from the finance bros, they'll say, Josh, you took Keenan Allen in round three. Shouldn't you diversify your risk and take a different quarterback, just like you want to diversify your risk in the stock market? All right, finance bros, we're going to break this one down. You took Keenan Allen in round three as a top 10 wide receiver, maybe the wide receiver nine, maybe the wide receiver 10 off the board in your best ball draft. You have officially planted your flag on Keenan Allen having an excellent season. Yet, you are worried Justin Herbert won't have a good season, so you take Allen, but then you grab a non-Herbert quarterback instead. 
So you took Keenan Allen and you said, I can't take Herbert. I have to diversify my risk. You take a different quarterback. You, finance bro, you are now threading the needle. You're setting up an alternate universe where Keenan Allen is having a monster season and worthy of a third round ADP, yet his own quarterback is struggling. If you don't think the whole Chargers offense will be cooking in 2021, why are you taking a player from that team in round three? Remember, we're trying to win this 12-person best ball league or this best ball tournament, not get fourth place in our opening 12-person draft. And you need all your early round picks to fire for that to happen. That is why if you live in a world where you take Keenan Allen in round three, you have planted your flag that the Chargers will be a good team. Keenan Allen will be above, he'll be an above average alpha wide receiver for a team for fantasy. And through osmosis, Justin Herbert should be having a pretty damn good season as well. The next time your ignorant friend at the bar We'll call him Cletus. We'll bring back our old friend Cletus from one of the early episodes of Codebreaker. The next time your ignorant friend Cletus at the bar questions the validity of stacking and best ball, you can provide them with this explanation with Keenan Allen, Justin Herbert, and Michael Thomas. Expect Cletus to buy you a beer afterwards, as he will also have seen the light. So all that kind of theoretical, a little bit of really basic math. This next part of research, I did it in R. It's an analytics programming language that's fairly easy to learn. In fact, you can learn how to code in R for analytics in 6 to 12 weeks learning with football data sets if you buy my R coding course, thatrcodingsite.com. It's the letter R like a pirate, R, the letter R, thatrcodingsite.com. And I'll teach you how to code in R for analytics using football data sets in only 6 to 12 weeks. Promo coupon is CodeBreaker at checkout. All lowercase, no spaces, CodeBreaker as your promo code, CodeBreaker. And you'll get 12% off any of my course offerings. 12% off because we play in 12 team leagues. So you can get 12%. Anyway, so this next part, I did a lot of work in R. Diving into the best ball mania data from last year. So Underdog Fantasy's flagship best ball tournament with 40,000 entrants. I looked at all of that data, every single individual pick that everyone made, what number of pick that was, what their overall team looked like, and so on. And one thing that I want to, and before we get too deep into some of the actual stacking results and how that played out in the tournament, let's just think about the correlation of quarterback to their teammates. And I'm going to use underdog ADP from last year. So what I did is I grabbed, based on ADP, the starting quarterback, so the, high, the, the, the most drafted quarterback from each team. I called that the QB1. The highest drafted running back from each team was RB1. The second highest drafted was RB2. And then I looked at the first four wide receivers. So wide receiver one, two, three, and four on each team based on ADP. And then I looked at the top two tight ends. So tight end one and tight end two at ADP. As you may have guessed, the correlation between the quarterback and the starting running back was negative. Basically, if the quarterback does really well, there's a good chance the running back doesn't do well because the quarterback is getting passing touchdowns and the running back isn't getting those rushing touchdowns. Or vice versa, the running back has three rushing touchdowns. Good chance the quarterback has a low scoring week in fantasy that week. Overall, the, the backup running back, often they ended up being a pass catching running back. So there was a slight correlation between the 
starting quarterback and the second running back. Not that this number should mean that much to you, but that correlation was 0.15 for the second running back. The first running back, the starter, was about negative 0.04. Those numbers shouldn't mean that much to you, but just know that 0.15 was the correlation for the running back too. That's that's positive. That's good. The quarterback and the running back too are correlated. They move together. One scores a lot of fantasy points. The other is more likely to score a lot. One scores very few fantasy points. The other likely to score few. The big correlation though, 0.43 for the team's top receiver. So that's about three times stronger correlation. So the team's top wide receiver is moving with about three times more certainty with the quarterback in fantasy scoring. So if a quarterback has a good week in fantasy, there's a really strong chance that the team's top receiver also has a good week, 0.43. The wide receiver two was 0.3, so about 50% lower than the wide receiver one with correlation. And then the wide receiver three on the team was 0.25. So it's 0.43 correlation for the first receiver, 0.3 for the second, and 0.25 for the third. The fourth a lot lower. It's 0.13, which is actually lower than the team's second running back. So quarterbacks actually overall are going to move a little bit more in tandem with the pass catching running back than they will a team's wide receiver for. The tight end, it's about 0.27. So the top tight end is in between the wide receiver two and wide receiver three. And that kind of makes sense that they're actually pretty correlated. Think about tight ends. They don't catch many passes, but a lot of the passes they catch end up being touchdowns. They're frequently utilized in the red zone and touchdowns score fantasy points. So it makes sense that if a tight end one on a team is scoring fantasy points, there's a good chance that team's quarterback also had a pretty decent week as well because they were tossing a few touchdowns to their tight end. The tight end two, it's 0.19. Again, these numbers, they probably don't mean too much to you, but in terms of strongest to least strongest correlated with the quarterback, it would go wide receiver one, wide receiver two, tight end one, wide receiver three, running back two, wide receiver, oh, sorry, right, oh, sorry, after wide receiver three. So let me, let me start that over. My goodness. Wide receiver one, wide receiver two, tight end one, wide receiver three, tight end two, even the backup tight end, they're basically just in there to catch touchdowns. So even the backup tight end is decently correlated. Then the second running back, then the wide receiver four. So right there off the bat, we have some numbers and correlation that shows fantasy points are moving in tandem for players on the same team that are pass catchers. The next thing that I did, I was very curious, and you probably want to know this too. How did some of the top quarterback wide receiver duos when stacked, how did they do in the best ball mania tournament last year on underdog? How many fantasy points were they scoring together? So so structurally for the tournament, The first round of the tournament, you're in a 12-team group. You draft with 11 other teams. The 12 of you, the first 13 weeks of the season play out, and you get your points for each week based on your optimal lineup. After those 13 weeks, in each 12-team league, the two highest-scoring teams overall then move on to round two, and so on and so forth. So those top two teams move on to the next round. That's really what you want to do. You want to start making some money and you want your entry fee to pay off, you got to get out of the first round and be one of the top two teams in your 12-person bracket. Here's a couple fun quarterback-receiver pairings. In those first 13 weeks of round one, there were 299 teams that drafted both Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill. 299 teams that did that. Of those 299 teams, if we're looking at only times when both 
Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill entered your best lineup. So that means that Mahomes was the best, highest scoring quarterback that you drafted. Most teams are taking two or three quarterbacks. And that Tyreek Hill was one of your three best receivers or ended up being in your flex because three receivers start, two running backs start, a tight end starts, and then you have a flex. Generally, teams are taking anywhere from six to nine or six to 10 receivers. So if Tyreek Hill is one of the three best or he's the flex, he's entering your lineup. Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill on those 299 teams, when a team had drafted both of them, on average, nine out of those 13 weeks in round one, nine out of 13 weeks, both entered your lineup and they scored 457 total fantasy points when they entered your lineup on average. To break that down into per week, that's about 50 fantasy points per week. So Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill, you drafted them both. And random week shows up, nine of those 13 weeks, both are in your lineup, giving you 50 points. So maybe that's 28 points for Mahomes, 22 for Tyreek Hill. Whatever it is, that is phenomenal. If you're going to pay up for a quarterback-wide receiver duo, at least last year, Mahomes and Tyreek Hill, they scored a shitload of fantasy points. What if you had taken a different receiver who scored fairly similarly to Tyreek Hill? What if you took, I don't know, DeAndre Hopkins instead of Tyreek Hill? Mahomes and Hopkins, there were 250 teams that had Mahomes and Hopkins. So nearly as many teams that had Mahomes Hill had Mahomes Hopkins. And of those teams, when both entered your lineup, it only happened on average about six and a half weeks out of those 13 weeks in round one. So only about every other week, both Mahomes and Hopkins enter your lineup. And in those six and a half weeks, they got you 283 total fantasy points. I'm going to do that math right now. Give me one second, actually. This is going to be kind of fun. So I told you Mahomes and Hill, 50 fantasy points on average. There we go. Hopkins and Mahomes, only 42 fantasy points when they enter your lineup. So eight fewer fantasy points and they enter your lineup about two and a half fewer times on average during that 13-week round one of Best Ball Mania. That is ridiculous that Hopkins and Hill are scoring. They're not that far off in fantasy points. Yet when Mahomes has a big week or when Hill has a big week, they are so intertwined and so correlated that you get so many more bankable fantasy points where you know if one guy has a good week, pretty good chance the other guy has a good week as well. Another interesting one is Russell Wilson with Lockett and Metcalf. Super correlated as well. Russell Wilson and DK Metcalf entered your lineup together. All right, I'll start with 887 teams had Wilson and Metcalf together. That's a lot of teams. It's because Metcalf was affordable going in round five last year, sometimes round six. 887 teams that had Metcalf and Wilson, 7.8 out of those 13 weeks in round one, they're entering your lineup. 7.8. So about eight out of the 13 weeks, both enter your lineup, giving you 360 fantasy points. That's really good. What if we look, we'll go back to Hopkins again. We're just going to pile on Hopkins, but he'll have his saving grace in a minute. Don't worry. Russell Wilson and DK Metcalf, 360 fantasy points. They enter about eight times out of those 13 weeks from 360 down to 282. If you had Hopkins and Wilson, about 250 teams that had that combo, only 280 two fantasy points with 6.2 relevant weeks. Fewer fantasy points per week when it hit and fewer weeks that they even enter your lineup. Russell Wilson and DeAndre Hopkins were not very correlated. All right, we've piled on Hopkins. We get it. Mahomes Hopkins, bad. Wilson Hopkins, bad. Even Lockett as well. Both Metcalf and Lockett were entering your lineup more and scoring more points. 
And you might be saying, oh, I want to see the exact numbers in more detail. I want to see more pairings. Don't worry. Read the stacking article on Player Profiler. I'll be posting about it on Twitter when it's out. It's going to come out early next week. And like I mentioned, our summer content intern, Jesse, she's cooking up some sweet tables where you can see tons of different pairings. You'll be able to see Mahomes with Tyreek Hill, Stephon Diggs, Metcalf, Hopkins, Brandon Cooks. You'll be able to see so many cool combos. We'll have some Josh Allen pairings, some Russell Wilson pairings, Kyler Murray pairings, Deshaun Watson pairings. It's incredible. I'll also have some lower end quarterback receiver pairings, some quarterback tight end pairings. So you can see how many times those guys in real tournament lineups, how often they were drafted together, how many fantasy points they had when they entered your lineup together, and how many relevant weeks they had. It's fascinating in my mind. And I think you'll find it interesting as well to be able to look through those tables where Jesse's going to color code it and make it visually appealing and easy to digest the information in depth. So I know I've pooped on Hopkins. He wasn't good with Mahomes. He wasn't good with Russell Wilson. But Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins, of those 13 weeks in round one, if you had those two guys, like 944 teams did, 363 fantasy points total for those weeks when they both entered, and 8.2 times that they entered your lineup. So 363, 8.2. We're going to do some math. Let's type that out. 363, 8.2. So 44 and a half points when they enter your lineup on average. 44 and a half. Mahomes, the GOAT, Mahomes, was only 42. We just did that math. So Mahomes Hopkins enters your lineup 6.7 times when you have both Mahomes and Hopkins. Six and a half times they enter your lineup and they give you 42 fantasy points together when they do enter your lineup. Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins, not 6.7. They enter just over eight times out of those 13 weeks and they give you 44 and a half fantasy points when they enter. So they give you more fantasy points when they enter and they enter more frequently. This is the power of stacking and correlation when you look at the individual scale. There's also some really good quarterback tight end ones. I'm not going to get into too many. I want there to be a lot of really interesting nuggets in the article, but let me tell you just a little spoiler. Tom Brady, Rob Gronkowski, that was a correlated duo. Ryan Tannehill, Jonu Smith, another really correlated duo. All right, now we're going to, let's zoom back out and let's just, I'll kind of explain where I'm going with this. So let's just think about, you have to finish in the top two out of 12 teams to advance in the best ball mania tournament on underdog. Because the season extended another week, instead of weeks one through 13, this year the first 14 weeks of the season will be round one. And you have to finish top two out of your 12 team draft. So two out of 12 teams advancing, that's one in six, basically. You have a one in six chance of advancing if you draft a perfectly average team in that 12 team format. One divided by six is 16.7%. 16.7% is our baseline. If you draft 100 teams in best ball mania, if you are a perfectly average drafter and you draft 100 teams, 16.7, so 16 or 17 of those teams should be advancing on to round two of the tournament after those first 14 weeks. Now, what I did to look at how win rates are affected based on different stacks is I looked at wide receivers one through seven based on ADP. I went out to wide receiver seven, though. Basically for most teams, it's the wide receiver one, two, and three. Some teams, wide receiver fours were getting drafted. There were a couple dart throws at the wide receiver five, six, or seven on a team, but it's mostly people will try and potentially stack a quarterback with a team's wide receiver one, two, or three, or a team's tight end one, 
maybe a team's tight end too. Just to be safe, I went out to tight end three. I skipped running back because, yes, the running back twos on average are correlated. However, not every running back two is a pass catcher. Some backup running backs are a bruising back. They're not much of a pass catcher. Think Latavius Murray. Latavius Murray is the second running back that's going to be drafted on the Saints, but Kamara gets the receiving work. So I didn't really feel comfortable including a running back two as a stack partner, just because while many of them are pass catching backs, not all of them are, yet we know that any wide receiver or tight end that's getting drafted in underdog, if you draft a tight end in fantasy, you don't think they're blocking, you think they're receiving and catching passes from the quarterback. So I looked at the wide receivers and tight ends as stacking partners for the quarterbacks. There were over 40,000 teams that were drafted, give or take. So these 40,000-ish teams, I looked at every team where there was no stacking, where if they took however many quarterbacks they took, I looked and made sure none of them were stacked. Those teams were top two 15.8% of the time. Remember, the baseline is 16.7, one in six. So 16.7% of teams should advance on average, 15 and a half-ish, so below average advanced, and were top two when they were a non-stacked team, zero stacks throughout. So already right off the bat, we can increase our odds above average if we are a stacking team. Yes, we may be pre-selecting a little bit for sharper drafters because they're the ones that are stacking, but still, what you'll find as I walk through this is basically every time you're presented with some type of stacking combo, they're going to be entering round two and advancing in this tournament more often than the unstacked teams. Now let's look at teams where who knows how many quarterbacks they took, but only one of those quarterbacks was a skinny stack. So one of those quarterbacks was stacked with one pass catcher on the same team. And we're also going to make sure that this stack was not a reach. And what I mean by that is, let's just say that, uh, so last year, Kyler Murray had an ADP of 70. So that's going in the, it's going around the sixth, somewhere in the sixth round. If you were to quote reach on Kyler, maybe you took him in the fourth round. That's a reach. So what I wanted to see is the skinny, a team with one skinny stack quarterback receiver combo within 90% of ADP to be a non-reach. What is that 90% ADP equation? I'll break it down. Kyler's ADP last year, Kyler Murray had an ADP of 70. DeAndre Hopkins had an ADP of 22. 70 plus 22 is 92. What is 90% of 92? That is 83. So I wanted the combined pick number of Murray and Hopkins to be 83 or higher. Let's do an example and it'll make sense. So let's say that I have the eighth pick in a draft. I take whoever I want at the the 108, then I have the 205. I take DeAndre Hopkins at pick 17, the 205, even though his ADP is 22. I went a little early. I took him 17. Then I get anxious. What if Kyler Murray doesn't make it back to me? I really want to stack. I'm craving it. Let me stack. I take Kyler at pick 58 at the 508 instead of his ADP, which is around 70. 58 is where I took Kyler and I took Hopkins at pick 17. 58 plus 17 is 75. And 75 is lower than 83, which was 90% of their 92 combined ADP. So 75, that's too low. And that would be below the 83 threshold for that 90% stack. So it would qualify as a reach. Conversely, let's say I had the 108 and I grabbed Hopkins 205 again, pick 17, a little earlier than ADP of 22. And then I also grabbed Kyler Murray, not at the 508, but I grabbed him at the 708. That is pick 80 instead of pick 70. 
So I grabbed Kyler after ADP. Pick 80. 80 plus 17 is 97. 97 is above 83. So we reached a touch on Hopkins, then Kyler fell a good bit to us. You're good. You have not, quote, reached combined for this stack. So now back to teams where they had one skinny stack. They had one quarterback that was matched up with a receiver, and they didn't reach. So the 90% ADP rule. So they didn't reach. You now have a 16.8% chance of advancing in the tournament. The baseline is 16.7. So it's still around average, but maybe it's a touch above. Nearly 7,000 teams did that. So they already boosted their odds to about average, a touch above average. But what if you had one skinny stack? So let's just say that you had no players on the same team with their quarterback, but you had only, only one combo. You had Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins. Let's say that you had them, but you reached. Anyone that had one single skinny stack that was a reach where they took them way too early, they had an 11.9% advancement rate with 620 teams that did this. So if you didn't reach, 16.8% advanced. If you did reach, 11.9%. Woof. You are well below average in terms of advancing if you had one stack and you reached. Now, I know that a common question is, uh, Josh, I let's talk more about reaching on stacks. I don't quite understand. what. Why is that so bad? So it's actually worse in a tournament, theoretically. Let's think about a 12-person league. You reach a little bit on a stack. You want the Ravens. Lamar goes in the fifth round this year on underdog. Mark Andrews goes in the sixth round. Let's say you're in a 12-team league and you get anxious, you want a stack. So you grab, instead of round five, you grab Lamar round four. And instead of round six, you grab Andrews round five. You have officially reached for this stack. You took him too early. If you're in a 12-person draft and Lamar and Andrews smash. Lamar throws 40 touchdowns, 12 of them to Mark Andrews. You're probably going to win your league, even though you reached because those other 11 teams cannot keep up. Now let's think about a tournament. In this tournament where you have your 12-person draft, but there might be 5,000 other 12-person drafts happening at the same time. In this tournament, you took Lamar round four, and then you took Andrews round five. Even though normally you can take them in rounds five and six, you took them in four and five. Do you want to know who has a much better team than you? Every other person in other drafts in the tournament who also stacked Lamar and Andrews. Yet, they took Lamar in the fifth and Andrews in the sixth. Think about it like this. You took Lamar round four and Andrews round five because you were anxious. In round six, maybe you took, who's available in round six? Uh, You took, I don't know, uh, you took Jerry Judy. So you had rounds four, five, and six were Lamar, Andrews for the stack, and then Jerry Judy. What if you had taken Lamar round five and Andrews round six? You could have had my personal favorite. You could have had Lockett maybe in round four. So in four, five, and six, Lockett, Lamar, Andrews, or Lamar, Andrews, Judy. There's no contest. Very likely that Lockett outscores Judy. So if you're in a tournament and you reach on Lamar and Andrews, there could be 200 other teams out there who didn't reach and your team's dead in the water because Lockett's probably going to be better than Judy. So your tournament team has no chance to aggressively advance in this format. So yes, if Lamar and Andrews crush it in this format, you're probably going to be top two in that initial opening 12-team bracket where you advance. But then once you get to the next round, you might be grouped in with three other teams that have Lamar and Andrews, and they have Lockett when you had Judy, and their team just smashes yours. This is why you cannot be reaching for your stacks in tournaments. Moving along, if we look at double stacks, so... Teams in underdog best ball mania tournament last year 
where they had one quarterback paired with two of their pass catchers near ADP. So they didn't reach. Now they're advancing 17.2% of the time, which is above the 16.7 baseline. 17.2. 2,500 teams did this. So 2,500 teams already were boosting their odds about half a percent, uh, half a percentage point from 16.7 to 17.2 by getting one double stack. So maybe they had Russell Wilson, Tyler Lockett, and uh, David Moore. Maybe they went with that as their double. Who knows? It could be anything. You could have Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, Sammy Watkins. I don't know. Any teams that had any one single double stack, higher advancement rate. But if they reached, it was not 17.2%. If they reached, it dropped 12.9%. 250 teams wah, 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 did that. What about a triple stack? If you had one triple stack, so we'll stick with the Seahawks, condensed target share. Let's just say your triple stack was Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, and David Moore last year. If you had one triple stack around ADP, so you didn't reach 19.4% advancement from 600 teams. 19.4% finished top two if you had one triple stack. We don't even know what the triple stack was, but if you had a triple stack, that is unbelievable. Now, what if you did the triple stack, but you reached? 56 teams did this, so it's a small sample, but if you reached on that triple stack with your quarterback, only three of the 56, three of 56, five and a half percent advanced. LOL. Sorry, you're not going to advance in the tournament. If you have a quarterback with three receiving options and you kept reaching over and over again, taking them before their ADP. Now, what if you had two single stacks? So, You had two quarterbacks on your roster that both had one teammate drafted by you. About 4,000 people did this close to ADP. 17.9% advanced, which again, that's better than the 16.7% baseline. If you reached 12.6%, significantly lower than the baseline. Again, if you want to make it out of the first round of Underdogs Tournament, don't reach. Let's say you had two double stacks. So maybe you had Russell Wilson with Metcalf and Lockett, and then you had uh, Derek Carr with Darren Waller and Henry Ruggs. I don't know. You had some combination of two double stacks. There were about 1,600 teams in Best Ball Mania last year that did that around the ADP of those players. 19.8% advanced. Correlation. 365 teams did the two double stacks and reached, ooh, it dropped down to 16.4%. Even with that crazy amount of correlation, it's below the 16.7% baseline. Stop reaching. What if you did three skinny stacks? So you took three quarterbacks and each quarterback was paired with a wide receiver. So maybe you went Burrow Higgins, you went Brady Godwin, and you went uh, Derek Carr, Darren Waller. You had three skinny stacks. 625 teams did that without reaching. 20.8% advanced. Holy shit. On average, one in six teams finishes top two to get out of that first round of the tournament and enter the money. One in six. You have now cut that to one in five, if not even slightly less than one in five, just by doing three skinny stacks. So if you actually had any idea about which teams to stack or which players were actually probably a good value at their ADP, I'm sure you're doing way better than that. That's just the baseline. What if you did three skinny stacks and you reached 15% advanced? So once again, below the 16.7% baseline if you're reaching on your stacks.
Let's say that in the first 13 weeks of last year, you were top two and you advanced. There were 7,200 teams that were now in round two. In the round two structure, to get out of round two and get to the next round, you, you were in a new 12-team league, they reassigned you, and you had to get first in that league in only one week. It's kind of like a DFS game suddenly. It's like, it's like a DraftKings contest or something like that, where suddenly you need to be really good and just in one week have a killer roster. I'm not going to split this into reaches and non-reaches because the samples are already getting a lot smaller with only 7,200 teams advancing. There were just over 1,500 teams that had one skinny stack in the next round, this round two, 8.4% advanced. That's about average. If you need to get first out of 12, one divided by 12, that's 8.3% on average. So our original baseline was about 16.7. Our new baseline is about 8.3. So 8.4%. So basically on average, it's average if you had one skinny stack in round two. There were 570 teams that had one double stack, 7.9% advanced. It's kind of interesting. That's actually a touch below average if you had one double stack. If you had one triple stack, again, this one's really small sample. There were only 150 teams that were in this next round with one triple stack, only 5.9% advanced, well below the 8.3% baseline, but again, tiny sample. What if you had two skinny stacks? So you're in the second round, you advanced, and you had Derek Carr, Darren Waller, and then you had uh, Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf. You have two skinny stacks. 1,000 people did it, 8.8% advanced. Finally, we see the light. 8.8% advancing is above 8.3%. So it's a touch above average. So, okay, that's fine. I'm not sold yet, but that's a touch above average. What if you are really correlated? You have two double stacks. 500 teams in round two had two double stacks. 10.9%, basically 11% advanced. So 19.8% advanced out of round one with this combination. So already one in five advanced out of round one instead of one in six. And then 11% of the time you're advancing again instead of 8% of the time. So you are just crushing the competition in round one and round two if you had two double stacks. If you had three skinny stacks, you had three quarterbacks, each with a receiver, 10.7% advanced out of round two, well above the 8% baseline. Again, that's incredible. What you should take away from this is that correlation is key. Embrace the stack. Know that you should not diversify because, oh, woe is me. I took Stefan Diggs and I'm so terrified to take Josh Allen because what if, what if Josh Allen has a bad year? Remember, if Josh Allen has a bad year, then what the, what the heck are you doing taking Stefan Diggs in round one or round two? Why are you taking him if you don't think his quarterback's going to have a good season? I'll leave you with this. Do you want three attainable skinny stacks for best ball, 12-person drafts, or tournaments on underdog? Here's the game plan. If you have a semi-early first round pick, here's what you can do. Or even like kind of a, you can even do like sort of a mid first round pick. Doesn't matter. Here's just a ballpark. You take Waller round two, lock it round four, Galladay in the fifth round, Russell Wilson in the sixth, Daniel Jones round 12, and Derek Carr round 16. Waller two, lock it four, Galladay five, Russ six, Daniel Jones 12, and Carr round 16. You would now have three skinny stacks. Russ Lockett, Daniel Jones Galladay, and Derek Carr Waller. There it is. That's what a three skinny stack team would look like, and they crushed last year. And spoiler alert, I expect them to crush this year as well. Just don't reach for them in a tournament. You have all the information you need. Go out, draft a team on Underdog, promo code Underworld, and look for the full article on stacking to drop early next week. 
with the Seattle New York Giant Las Vegas stack. If you have those three skinnies each week, you just need one of those offenses to light it up to have a viable quarterback with at least one viable receiver already entering your lineup. For next steps, enter a few slow best ball drafts with the eight-hour pick clock. Plan out your stacks based on your draft position and which players you draft in the opening few rounds. Take your time, take notes on which stacks are the most attainable, and which draft slots are the most friendly to grabbing different team stacks. Once you're comfortable, enter some fast drafts with the 30-second pick clock, knowing you're more prepared than your competition. Let the 30-second clock be a hindrance to your league mates while you cruise through stacking at will rapid fire. Stack players, and thanks to the math behind it all, hey, huh? thank you math, uh, thank you correlation. Thanks to the math, if you stack players, I do not say this lightly, stacks of money will follow. So I quote tweeted him and I agreed with him. It's the idea that real analytics people, real coders should be locked away, turn the key, locked away in a dark room, producing results for someone with better social skills to swoop in, present the research and take credit for it. We'll call him Cletus. We'll bring back our old friend Cletus from one of the early episodes of Codebreaker. The next time your ignorant friend Cletus at the bar questions the validity of stacking and best ball, you can provide them with this explanation with Keenan Allen, Justin Herbert, and Michael Thomas. Thanks to the math behind it all, hey, huh? thank you math, uh, thank you correlation. Know that you should not diversify because, oh, woe is me, I took Stefan Diggs and I'm so terrified to take Josh Allen because what if... What if Josh Allen has a bad year? Remember, if Josh Allen has a bad year, then what the, what the heck are you doing taking Stefan Diggs in round one or round two? You have officially planted your flag on Keenan Allen having an excellent season. Then I get anxious. What if Kyler Murray doesn't make it back to me? I really want to stack. I'm craving it. Let me stack. I told him in my quote tweet, it was absolutely brutal that DJ Chark suffered through two games of smothering coverage from Philip Rivers, while Keelan Cole had the cake matchup in Jacoby Brissett, checkmate, have launched the puppy. It's pretty cute. It's a puppy. No offense to the 95% of other fantasy football podcasts out there that actually do this. So I know I've pooped on Hopkins. He wasn't good with Mahomes. He wasn't good with Russell Wilson. You have officially planted your flag on Keenan Allen having an excellent season. On Keenan Allen having an excellent season. On Keenan Allen having an excellent season.